Akuria Bay, this is Selena. Akuria de la Halle, this is Carol. Oh my gosh, Carol. So first, before we start our tale today with our soon-to-be uh, interviewee, Rachel, I wanted to say I'm been having so much fun editing our podcast because it's always so much fun to re-listen to what people have to say but my goodness carol it has been so hard (laughs) i think it's mainly because i'm trying to learn how to use adobe audition and premiere together and i'm just like okay i know how to use premiere but why is audition so hard although now it's not it's not hard so i'm super excited i have a system and all the other episodes will go way faster than the first one took me (laughs) and we're just learning you know I'm getting better too. I suck at the first episode and now, but I'm better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we start our podcast, I want to say disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with the U.S. Peace Corps, U.S. government. All thoughts, opinions, and recollections are for informational purposes only and to allow listeners a chance to hear Peace Corps tales from returned Peace Corps volunteers. Let's get to our tale. Hello, Rachel. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to y'all. So before we get to your tale, can you please tell us a little bit about you and also tell us your greeting from your host country? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Mulishani, uh, or it's the morning, so I'd say Mwabukashani, uh, which means like, how are you? Or good morning. How did you sleep? Um, in Bimba, which is one of 72 dialects in Zambia. Um, But yeah, I'm Rachel Lopez, and I was a Peace Corps volunteer for three years in Zambia. I actually extended an extra year, and my main project was rural aquaculture, and I also did work with malaria and girls empowerment in Ingalula village, which was in the northern province of Zambia. How big would you say your your town was that you lived in? Oh, man. Um... (laughs) That's hard to say because it was kind of a, it it was really widespread and it kind of like bled into one another. But I would say maybe, I think it was like 600 people in my, in the village that I lived in. Okay, great. We always want to do that kind of scope so that way we could see like how big or small a role it was for you. Because I know other people lived in actual cities. So you were in a more rural area, which is going to be interesting to hear about your tale. So the first question I have for you is why did you join Peace Corps? So I was really interested in Peace Corps because during my junior year of college, I studied abroad and I went to Belize for three months and I worked with a fisheries nonprofit there. And that was kind of when my whole world was flipped upside down. Um, My experience there, just getting outside of my comfort zone and meeting people outside of the U.S., it kind of changed everything about how I thought and the way I saw the world and so when I went back to my senior year of college I was like um this is stupid why am I learning calculus (laughs) like this is not you know like a needed skill so I was so through with school so when I left I was telling someone about it about my time and I was like they were like oh well it sounds like maybe you want to do the Peace Corps and I was like what's that? So I looked more into it. And that's how that's how I figured it out. So initially, you know, I kind of wanted to go just to, um, to help people and to learn more and to challenge myself. Uh, But knowing what I know now, I'll I'll get back to that later (laughs) (laughs) about the intentions of joining. Um, But yeah, 
that's that's kind of what inspired me. Oh, that's awesome that someone else kind of like informed you. I just did it with a Google search, so <laughs> you were one step ahead of me. What did you Google search? Uh, what to do with a nutrition degree. Ah, <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> yep. And so me and Carol, we are completely different as far as when it comes to packing. Like I'm a planner, Carol's a go with the flow, I'm just going to toss stuff in a bag. So for you, what was one item that you were just so thankful and happy that you packed? definitely Mexican candy (laughs) and like uh tahine so so happy yeah especially because of all the fresh fruit that is out there um like the mangoes and the pineapple definitely could not have survived without that uh I gotta have my Mexican candy (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness that's right tahine I actually brought a huge one of that and I used it pretty much my whole service (laughs) yes they are so, it's so important, like, could not have survived without it. But something I, like, I really wish I would have brought, but I didn't, was dill pickles. I don't know, like, did y'all have a hard time finding dill pickles in Madagascar? You know, I love pickles, but I actually never tried to buy them in Madagascar. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I really don't like anything that is pickled. Nothing. Really? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but like, I think one of the biggest adjustments for me was like, I craved a lot of different foods. Like I would have dreams about tacos, bacon, (laughs) I really missed Mexican food and um, pickles. I could, I could not find dill pickles for the life of me, only like the sweet ones. And I don't know why it just like tormented me. (laughs) I think for me, I just kind of accepted that I wouldn't have my like comfort foods from home at one point. So then I was okay with going without it. And I luckily didn't have those cravings because I was like, it's okay. It's not here. Like, just don't think about it. (laughs) Out of sight, out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So you did answer the next question I was going to ask. So I'll leave it to Carol to ask the next (laughs) Um, so, you know, uh, Tiscor is just this wonderful roller coaster of emotions from day one to day 300 to day 900, whatever days. But do you remember during pre-service uh, training, what was that moment or the highlight that you were like, wow, like this is fantastic, or you just took your breath away? My first memory of like feeling like really amazed at my experience and where I was at and a surreal moment I was headed from my host family's house to go to the training center to pick something up and it had just finished raining and the training center where we had pre-service training was on a hill and there was like a double rainbow behind it (laughs) and it was just so beautiful and I remember just being like oh my gosh this is gorgeous I think during that moment it truly hit me and Apart from that, just like every everyday moments, I think also um, just like realizing the things that you can overcome. I think also physically that was a big thing for me because going in, I was I like I knew how to ride a bike, but I was like a little bit worried about what it would be like. I don't know how it was in Madagascar, but like that's how we got everywhere. And so I was really worried about that. And nervous that I wouldn't be strong enough physically but you know of course at first it was so hard um but then like I 
got to be a really good biker. And I think that was something that, I don't know, I was really proud of and felt super good about. And I was like, I don't know, like I physically overcame this. So like, what else can I do? That's awesome that you mentioned biking because I, you know, like I've always been like uh, active and during training, we didn't really have our bikes, but we had them during service. And that was one of my main transportations at my side. And it was hilly and it was, I had to go like really up the hills and then we will do like bike rides with my region mates and it was fantastic. And it's just such a part of me now that even here in Bogota, I just bike everywhere. I avoid driving or taking the bus just because biking is such a wonderful experience. So yeah, I really like that. Yeah. Yes, it is. Especially like, I feel like you can kind of just enjoy it more than if you were like, walking or like running yeah definitely I don't know what it is maybe because you're just like chilling and then like yeah I'm not sure what about you Selena did did you write a lot at your site so no I didn't like during my first two years I did not because it was very mountainous and for me it was just like I was not strong enough and I could not get to the point of becoming strong enough to be honest so I had to walk pretty much everywhere and it isn't the same, I will say, because my third year when I extended, I did use a bike and I would go to the beach and stuff. And I just remember being like, as long as the cars don't kill me because it was a main road, I had a lot of fun. Um, it was just really nice to kind of just let everything kind of slide by and feel the breeze and just see the scenery. Because when you're walking, especially where I used to live, the terrain is so uneven and I'm really clumsy so I would focus on the ground a lot just to make sure I wouldn't fall <laughs> so again like I wouldn't really be able to pay attention to what was around me because I'm more focused on like let's not try to collapse in front of my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah I feel that for sure yeah and you, of course you don't want you know don't want a twisted ankle or anything no because I did I did during service and then I went on a, like a two-day hike after that and I was like, well, you know what? I've sprained like each ankle about three times each. So for me, it was just like the third time for the left foot. And I'm like, just got to let it rest a little bit. And I know how to get through this. Like, <laughs> just going to go the next day. <laughs> what a trooper. Just being Peace Corps, like every single day, like you mentioned, is just take every single thing and just sunk it in, right? Like it's like where is like waking up to this beautiful landscape or just meeting new people. Can you give us a little bit of details of what were your living conditions throughout pre-service training? During pre-service training, I actually was a little bit more in a town than I was in my actual site. During pre-service training, I had a host family and I lived really close to the tarmac, um, which is what we just call a road. <laughs> it was like only like a 15 minute bike ride to the nearest market. But at the time, I remember it being like, oh, it's so far away because I wasn't used to riding a bike yet. Uh, but like looking back, I'm like, that wasn't far at all. But it definitely prepped me for my service, though, because, you know, like building up to that physical strength. Um, to ride the bike and go places, um, and also uh, my host family, only one person spoke English, and it was my host father, and he wasn't around much because he was working, um, so I definitely had to practice my bimba, and I learned a lot from my host family, and I'm so grateful for them, and especially my host siblings. There was four of them, like all ranging in age from like 15 to four. And 
you know, like they're, they were my best friends, <laughs> uh, you know, helping me study or playing with me or showing me how to get water. Um, but yeah, my pre-service training, it definitely uh, paves the road for um, the rest of my service. But at the same time, I really struggled with pre-service training because I don't do well with schedules. And, and, you know, pre-service training is a very rigorous, rigorous schedule. You know, you have to be somewhere all the time, except for maybe like one or two days of the week. Um, and that was hard for me because I'm definitely, it sounds like Carol, you and I are kind of similar. I'm definitely more of a go with the flow. Like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do today. So that was tough for me. So when pre-service training ended, I was like, bye. You know, I was really happy to kind of like do my own thing. Um... But yeah, it was, I, I'm really, but the time that I had during pre-service training was so important, especially building relationships with your fellow volunteers. I think the, glo the go with the flow is in our Lopez, because we are both Lopez, so maybe it has something to do with our <laughs> last name, I don't know, who knows? We are relative in yeah, a very distant, you know? Like a, a, maybe a, a Latino thing? The Latino, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is that 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 could be it. Um, okay, so you are you know like being a trainee. I don't know if it happened to you, but I definitely felt like that, and I I felt like I was a child. You know, like Peace Corps was just all the time nagging you where to go, what to do, blah blah blah. And then once you are like, okay, PSC is done. Now we are free. Like now we're gonna go take in the world. How was that transition to you? Because to me it was liberating, but at the same time it was terrifying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's always how we, me and other volunteers talked about it. We were like, I feel like a kid. But yeah, when it, when like, I, it was, it was all, it was strange. At the same time, it was like when they finally, you know, like where it gave us more freedom, I was like, oh, I can finally get away. But at the same time, it made me a little bit more nervous because I guess I'd grown adjusted to being watched over and like, I don't know, controlled. And that was something I understand why they do that because some volunteers come in with like little to no international experience. And, you know, if you just let them loose, they might be idiots, but you know, that also goes into making sure that you have better preparation for incoming volunteers. You know, we shouldn't have to be watched over like kids Yeah, I, I remember just wanting so bad to go into the city and meet people and, like, learn more. But, you know, just being so confined. <laughs> but it was, it was for sure liberating. I was like, I'm free! <laughs> so what was it like, your transition from actual, like, PST to when you go to site? What did Peace Corps kind of do to help you do that transition? And what was it like when you first stepped foot in your new home? Like, even with, like, site selection, like, where you'll be staying for your, um, your two-year service, they really helped with, like, making sure, well, they took in, like, what you would prefer. They didn't always, like, <laughs> they didn't always totally consider that, but they would listen to your preferences. They gave us lists. I know, like, so in my province, which is basically, like, the equivalent of a state in the U.S., Um, my Peace Corps volunteer leader, uh, she was really good about giving us a list of things that we would need and helping us with prices because like 
it also depended on if you were a first generation, second generation, you know, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I was a second generation, but the volunteer before me hadn't been there for like two years. So I didn't have anything in my house besides like one chair, I think. And so I had to kind of buy everything. And that took a long time uh, gathering things, but it was like building a home was so much fun for me. But when I first got there, I remember like my first site visit before we lived there. Um, it was, oh man, I always say that I had the, like the greatest site. It was um, on this farm area that my host family had and a furrow ran by it. So basically like a little creek so you could hear the running water. And there was two fish ponds in front of my house and the sun would set over it. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, it's like, it was, it was so, so, so beautiful. And the first time I saw my house, I just, I felt really excited and my meeting my host family and everyone else that lived in my village and going from there, it, it took some time, like, like I said, like building everything up, but it was okay. I think the thing I was most worried about was like my toilet situation. <laughs> like, I don't know about... Yeah, but I was like, I don't know about y'all, but going into Zambia, like, I had never encountered a toilet like that, so I had a lot of, um, poop anxiety. <laughs> like, not, like, not, like, not knowing, like, how to use it. Okay, yeah, I could see that. I remember when first trying to use it, my legs weren't as flexible, I feel. Like, I've always been able to, like, bend down to the floor and pick up something, but to, like, squat like that for a while or a hot second for, like, you know, to do my business was a workout in the beginning. <laughs> yes. And I and I know yeah, it's 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 definitely an adjustment. I'd say that was probably one of the biggest adjustments for me. Um overall because I just like didn't really understand the mechanics of it from the beginning, but luckily there was another volunteer. Um her name was also Rachel and <laughs> she was like um she was an older she was older than me and um she had a lot of experience like backpacking so I was like hey how do I use a toilet like this and she like she explained it to me and I was like oh <laughs> that was definitely a big adjustment for me I did want to ask for clarification so when you were at your actual site you had a host family as well or was it just a family that you kind of adopted and called your host family yeah, so I had an actual host family. Um, they sort of adopted me. <laughs> um, and my host father, I would not have survived without him. He's such a kind man. Um, so I, I call him Patata because that's what uh, dad means, and or, you know, father and Bimba. Um, but he helped me with everything from meeting counterparts to showing me where the market was helping me with cultural stuff and he would always <laughs> he would always check on me one of my favorite things about him is, is he wouldn't always like just come up to my house because our houses were pretty far apart I would say they were about 100 yards so he wouldn't like knock on my door or anything he would just like start like he would like wander kind of around like my house like picking at like plants or looking at the garden and he would like hum and stuff kind of basically like announcing himself <laughs> Um, yeah, but like not, you know, like kind of wanting to be like casual about it. He would always do that. Um, yeah, it's so cute. Um, but he, he was, yeah, he was so instrumental to my service and my host siblings. I had 
seven of them, I think. He had 11 kids in total from four different wives. <laughs> the younger kids were, were around the house and they would come over and play with me every evening and they helped me a lot too and we would go to the river together. So my host family was a huge part of my service. So thinking about your whole service as a whole, what are three highlights that you just absolutely remember when you think about your Peace Corps service? Ooh. One big highlight was definitely, there was this one time where I was interacting with um, one of my counterpart's brothers, Bob Emanuel's brother. And uh, this man was blind. And so I showed up to my counterpart's house and my counterpart wasn't there. And so I was talking to his brother and he, we were talking together and then he was like, and we were having a conversation. He was like, oh, it's you, Rachel. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, I thought you were someone else because your, your bimba is really good. I didn't realize that like you were, you were a Mzungu. Uh, which is basically, you know, like a white person, a foreigner. And I was like, I don't know if he actually said that maybe just to like <laughs> make me feel good. Um, if that was his intentions, he succeeded. Uh, it definitely, it definitely made me feel good. Um, that was definitely one of them, I think, because like I, that was something I worked really hard at. You know, I, I tried really hard to practice Bemba and to learn it and I think to have someone uh, say that made me feel really good because, um, you know, even like I, yeah, and I wasn't even fluent and, you know, like I wish I could have been, but I think having that level was really instrumental for me um, with forming relationships and getting to know people. But another highlight, I would say, <laughs> so um, I had a cat and... <laughs> Uh, she had, like, over my service, she had, like, four litters of kittens. She got busy. <laughs> yeah, she did. She did. And I think that was, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but that was, like, just really fun for me. Um, and I think getting, so, like, I get this kind of ties in with one of the, the top highlight is I think I just felt like my connection to nature was improved during my service and I think that's a really big highlight for me um I know it's vague and broad but I think just learning more about agriculture and the earth and the cycles I think made me definitely more in tuned with my environment and with myself you know because like every day I would go to eat dinner I, I would like set my fire and I would notice that the, the sun would set on a certain side and, you know, I had never really taken note of, like, which side, like, which side of me was, like, east, west, north, south. Um, but I feel like now that's definitely something that's a big part of me is just recognizing my surroundings. And I also remember never really knowing, like, peanuts. I had never known what they looked like fresh. And I remember being so, like, mind blown when I saw them pulled out of the ground and ate some. I was like, What? But yeah, that that's definitely a big highlight. Did they make boiled peanuts where you were? Yeah. Yes. With salt. So good. Yeah. So good. And homemade peanut butter. Yes. Oh my God. That was so good. Yes. 
And that, okay, I'm going to have to say that's another highlight, I think, was just food in Zambia was a really big thing. And having my, like, my host family taught me how to cook. And it's just such a huge part of hospitality. And I think just having those interactions and those moments with my community or with people I met along the way, sometimes I would just be riding my bike and someone would be like, hey, Mzungu, like, come eat dinner with us or, like, come eat lunch with us. And I would never meet them before and I would eat with them. And I think just having that, like, that common place to share and to get to know each other and having that be like a really big form of hospitality for Zambians was, I think, such a big part of my service. Um, and learning how to cook, uh, Zambian food specifically, and I miss it so much. <laughs> I miss it so, so much. It's, it's so hard for me to pick small moments when, you know, there's there's really big, I think, realizations and things that I'm grateful for throughout my time. I want to ask, just for curiosity, like for us, it was Vazaha. If they were saying like, hey, Vazaha, come and have like lunch with us or something, in your experience or with other people or volunteers where you served with, did they ever get offended by being called that word at any moment? Yes. Yeah. And I actually, I'm also guilty of that. You know, there were sometimes I would be like, I'm not Mzungu. Like, I'm Rachel. Like, well, I think I would kind of only get upset when it was people in my village. Because um, they knew me. They knew my name. And so I was offended that they wouldn't just call me that. But, you know, looking back, I'm like, I mean, that's what I am. I am a foreigner. I am a white person. So knowing what I know now, like, I shouldn't have been upset, but I definitely knew some people who would, like, uh, get frustrated with it. Um, or I know some kids, <laughs> um, if, when you would bike past, they would, like, yell at you. They'd be like, Mazuga! <laughs> um, so that would, uh, yeah, that would get a little bit frustrating over time. Like, I wish, knowing what I know now, it shouldn't have bothered me so much. I will say kids are either like your best friend or the worst thing of your service. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. What was your top WTF moment? So this is a moment that I want to like kind of reflect of what just happened. Oh my God, this would only happen because I'm here in like in your host country, Zambia or something like this would never happen in the States. Yeah, that. Okay, so. <laughs> um, going off of the Mazungu thing and the foreigner thing, I would get stopped a lot and like I would people would like flag me down and I'm like, what? Like what's going on? And they would just want to touch my skin. Um, because it's a different color or I don't I don't know why. Um, but I would I would like be or by strangers they would just like touch my arm, touch my skin because the color is different and <laughs> That was something um, that definitely threw me off, and I was like, interesting, uh, but I, I mean, I guess I understand why, you know, because some, some of the people I would encounter, especially kids, they were, like, terrified of me. That was another, like, they, some kids would, like, scream, and I know some mothers would, like, know that, so they would, like, they would love to freak their kid out. <laughs> So when I was around, they would be like, oh, look, the Mazungu's here. And the kid would, like, immediately start crying. Did y'all ever experience that? Were kids terrified of y'all? 
Oh, yeah. I experienced that a good handful of times, especially when I worked in the South for my third year, because that's where even less foreigners go in the rural areas there. And people, I remember one mom, oh my God, she got me so mad because she like looked at her kid because he was like crying. She's like, she's like, if you get too close to her, she'll eat you. And I was like, <laughs> excuse me? And I just like yelled at her in Malagasy, like just saying like, how dare you say that? Like, I will never touch your child that way. Like, oh my God. I was, I was so horrified and so upset with that mother because they were using it as like a fear tactic, but in a sense of like, she'll come and steal you from us too. Like, that's another one I heard. She'll steal you from us if you get too close. And I was like, oh my God, like, no, I would never do that. Yeah, it was it was bad sometimes. Oh, wow. Do you think that's maybe like seeded in like colonialism and like the adoption industry? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if the adoption industry has hit Madagascar in that sense of people stealing babies kind of thing. But I don't know if it is or not, because personally, I don't know anything about that. But yeah, I don't I really don't know. It probably has to do with some kind of colonialism. To be on it, yeah, I will agree with that, but I'm not also 100% sure. Like, I haven't researched it or anything to say 100%, like, yes, that is a cause. Yeah, yeah, but it's definitely something that people who are white passing will uh, encounter, for sure. I do have to say, like, people never really touch my skin. I'm not dark, but, like, I will get really tan. I got by, depending on the place I was at, so I, I could go get by by a mestizo. But I do remember, like, like any time I was with Selena or any other volunteer in my area, I was like, wow, like, I could see, like, the magnifying glass, because by myself, I was like, okay, like, you know, little things happen, but not too bad. But when I was with a lighter-skinned volunteer, it was just, like, a whole different level of craziness and how people look at you, and, yeah, so it was just, like, mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I got very good at having my like serious face on when I would walk in a bigger city because I just wanted to ignore all the men specifically because they're cat Because I, I didn't get grabbed just by kids. I got grabbed by men where like they would pass by and they would just like grab my arm. And I'm just like, I don't know what that means, but don't touch me. And so I would just have this mean face. And if people know me well, they know that I'm not a mean person. I'm pretty nice. I'm very sassy, but I'm not really mean. And so it was just like such a shock to like having to change my persona in a sense to kind of be like, back off. Don't come near me. <laughs> that was a good one. Thank you for that WTF moment because God, I can resonate with that so much. <laughs> yeah. I definitely, like, I mean, I knew going in that those things would happen, but I think, like, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have know. like, I don't know, I, knowing what I know now, I kind of, like, psychoanalyze everything to, like, colonialism or, like, <laughs> um, you know, like, white savior stuff. So when I think about the Mzungu stuff, I think a lot about that um, and how it interacts with that. Uh but yeah, definitely, it, it wouldn't have happened unless I, I was I was a volunteer in Zambia. What was your like, OMG, this is why I did Peace Corps moment? That's a good question. You have me a little stumped. <laughs> um, I think, okay, definitely 
something that I was most proud of during my time there um, was a girls empowerment camp that was a week long. It's called uh, Girls Leading Our World or GLOW. And it is very popular within um, different Peace Corps countries to uh, have host them in their various uh, locations and provide experiences that focus around empowerment, which that includes sexual and reproductive health, relationships, staying in school, being assertive. And I was the person who organized and wrote a grant and uh, helped facilitate a lot of the sessions for this camp. And I think bringing a bunch of girls who were from all over this northern province of Zambia and having them together. And we, ha we had them at a center. And during the week, we had various speakers and activities. And there was a lot of um, HIV AIDS work in there, along with malaria education. And, you know, of course, incorporated into that was fun and games and just being a girl and also learning about more that had to do with like taboo, especially like that involved sexual health. But at the end of the week, it was just, it, it was, I felt really proud of it um, and really happy, I think, just because I had the opportunity to have the chance to um, give the girls who participated, you know, maybe education they didn't know about before, especially considering, you know, like I was saying, reproductive health, because there, there's a lot of taboo regarding condoms and um, myths about uh, HIV and if it's curable or not. And so I think having the opportunity to present facts um, for these girls, I hope it was a powerful tool for them uh, for their life. But I think that's definitely a moment where I was like, wow, I felt really good about it um, and really happy. And that's probably a big highlight for my service. That's awesome. <laughs> I, Rachel, I think you are like my Mexican sister that got lost somewhere along the way. Because so many of your like moments that you have shared with us so far, I feel so identified with. Um, and just like, I don't know, like your bubbly personality, I feel also like very related as well. <laughs> Actually, Selena and I had a little bit of time in Zambia and we can testify of their welcoming and how awesome Zambian people are. We had some really good nights there, especially in Lusaka. Oh my God, that was like the best thing <laughs> of our trip. <laughs> One of the best nights. Where did y'all do? Did y'all go out? Yeah, because we knew this guy who played rugby. So we, I had a friend there. And so he was, I guess, I don't know if he was pro or maybe semi-pro, but a lot of people knew him because he had played rugby. And so he took us to the club and we got like free champagne because someone bought it for him. And it was just like... There was this, like, huge burly guy who was with us, and he, like, for some reason really liked me. And I was like, thanks, no. But no thanks. <laughs> Although I will say, no other weird guy came near me because he was, like, behind me, like, every step of the way. And I was like, I'll take you as a bodyguard, but not as a lover. Like, no. I had to be Selena's bodyguard from that guy. Like, where else did y'all go in Zambia? Did y'all go to Livingston? Yes. Oh, nice. What did y'all do there? We did a safari, and then we saw Victoria Falls. Uh, did you see the baboons? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's tons, yeah, there's tons of, like, a baboons around there. I actually have a story about that. My 
sister, so I actually was really fortunate. Actually, I don't know why I didn't mention this. This was a huge highlight of my service. I was really lucky to have um, everyone in my family come and visit me during my time there. And when my sister came, she and I went to Victoria Falls, and it was the first time I had been there. And our taxi driver who took us to the falls from our hostel in Livingston he was like, okay, make sure that you don't have any food because the baboons will take it from you. And I was like, okay, I don't have any food. And he kept saying that. And I was like, I don't have any food. But I have my passport because I knew that the the falls were had a lot of, excuse me, they had a lot of water. And I knew that like my stuff would probably get wet. And so I was trying to prevent that. So I wrapped up my passport and my sister's passport and her visa and like our cash <laughs> into my passport holder and I wrapped it up into a plastic bag like a, sh a shop right bag which is like the grocery store there and I had it with me in my hand and we got out of the car and there was a baboon and he immediately saw the plastic bag and they associate that with food and so he ripped it out <gasps> yeah so the baboon ripped it what? out of my hands and he like and well we were like it was there's a little tug of war first and like he was so strong he like totally won me over he like pulled it out of my hands and ran off and then like he like started like opening it and like it was a zipper pouch so he had he like undid the zipper like undid the velcro I, like had the, my passport out and he was like starting to chew on my passport and i was like about to chase him and there was a guard and he was like wait don't chase him because if you chase him, he will run down to the gorge, like the bottom of the waterfall, and then it'll be lost forever. And I was like, okay. So they had a candy, and they used the candy as distraction to get the, the passport back, and it worked out. But that's definitely a, definitely a, a WTF moment as well. Like, <laughs> Yes. Oh, my God. That's definitely tough. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Those baboons do not play around. No. They're, Yeah. Um, they're kind of scary, honestly. Yeah, so that's why I was like, did see any monkeys while you were there? Yeah, I think there were some uh, roaming around the hotel we stayed in. I don't think we saw any other waterfalls per se, but we definitely saw some on the road going to the hotel. But I did like Sambia. It was really fun. Like, I, like that night that we talked about the clubs, I had so much fun. There was so much alcohol because of this guy. It was just fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, she got hella drunk she was like at the end of the night she was like i'll fight you like she got like crazy drunk i was like who is this person <laughs> uh but i think it's just a testament of how people are so welcoming to strangers because we've never met these people right like we've never seen him because salina was friends with the wife and we went to visit them at their house and then it was, uh, I don't know, like three or four symbians and they're like, just, let's just go clubbing. And we're like, but we don't know you. And he's like, you know, like we drove there and there's just alcohol, bottle and all kinds. And then we go to another club. I was like, oh my God, what is happening? But this is so much fun. Yeah, we didn't have to pay for anything. <laughs> they paid for everything. And it was, it was actually the most fun night as far as like a night out of town that we had throughout our whole COS trip, I will say, because that was one where it was like truly like a night out of town where we got to have fun. We got to dance like I felt safe with who I was with in a country. I know no one <laughs> in a sense besides these people that I met. <laughs> and that's so important. 
like to have that safety. That's so cool though. I'm glad y'all had a good night out. Yeah, there's some there's some good party in there. <laughs> I've definitely done my fair share of, of partying in Zambia. Yeah, yeah, it's the people are so 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 nice. Yeah, it was fantastic. Earlier you were talking about how delish the Zambian food is, and I'm sorry, I think your mouth is gonna just start watering, because my next question is, what is your favorite dish, and do you still have the chance to make it back in the States? Ooh, my favorite Zambian dish um, is definitely caterpillars. Wait, what? Whoa. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, and there's... There's like a few different types of caterpillars, but there's this one called Ichipumi and no, or was it Mumpa? I get the two confused, but um, there are these green caterpillars, actually any caterpillars. I love any caterpillars. <laughs> so what they do, because they're seasonal. Um, so when caterpillar season is on, like everyone goes out into the fields and harvests them. And so I would see people carrying around like gallon buckets of like full of caterpillars. And yeah, and people come from even like Tanzania to get them. Um, it's a it's a big thing. And so what they do to prepare them is they like push the guts out and then they dry them and or sometimes they dry them, sometimes they just directly fry them with like oil and salt. Um, and it's so good. It's so 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 good. And wait, so it's really like caterpillar skin that you eat because they push the guts out yeah pretty much yeah like just like the caterpillar body slash skin yeah but like none of the guts are inside it's like it's so good um and actually when I went on my home leave um because <laughs> like so in between your service if you extend you get a month of home leave And so during my home leave, I actually brought some caterpillars back. Um, don't tell U.S. Customs and Enforcement because I told them I didn't bring any bugs back. But I like, yeah, but I brought some back and I made some for like my mom and my stepdad and my friends. But oh God, I miss them so much. I remember my, yeah, my potato would like always crack up about how much I would, it was like potato chips to me. Like I was like, they're so good. I don't know. Yeah, I miss them. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy whenever I tell people that they're like uh <laughs> it does sound very crazy yeah it's so delicious are those caterpillars here in the states like can you try to replicate that <laughs> you know I actually I don't know I I think I've seen similar types of some of the caterpillars I saw there but I don't know I also I never <laughs> I never did any of the gutting I will admit I don't know if I could. I would think I would feel really bad um, <laughs> to do it. It's kind of like with a chicken. Like, I could never kill a chicken. I, you know, I'm just too much of a weenie. That's why I'm so glad I'm a vegetarian. Yeah, she's a vegetarian. I'm a meat eater. <laughs> so, okay, I will say I personally did not. I had a rooster, too, and it got too angry. And I was like, this thing got to die. Like, I want to eat it now. And so I had my neighbor, my host parents that like I adopted, they, I took it to her and I was like, can you please kill it for me? <laughs> and she did, she did, she killed it. And then we had it for dinner. <laughs> it was actually one of the best chickens I've had. <laughs> Sweet revenge. <laughs> so going back to, you know, all those fun memories, memories, clearly you were a good cook because you had a 
great host family, right? And there is so many things that you have to learn how to do in, in, in host countries, right? Because we don't have electricity or we don't have certain amenities. Can you think of one chore that you thought it was really, really fun to do or that you were like, oh my God, like you threaded the day that you had to do that specific chore? I will start with a chore that I actually didn't mind one short so like I didn't really mind laundry because I would always do it on Sundays I knew that like no one everyone would be at church so it was kind of like my day of refuge because I know that like uh like I wouldn't have to do any work or do any programming so I'd always do my laundry on those days and that was always something that was kind of really nice for me and like in a form like therapeutic and I enjoyed that but something I hated doing which I probably should have done every day was like sweeping my floor <laughs> I because like I so my house was like um it was basically surrounded by sand and I didn't have any like electricity or running water so it's like I couldn't like use like a vacuum or anything and for some reason I like didn't think about using a regular broom so I had one of those brooms that was like, it's like straw, but it's only like maybe like a, a foot, maybe like a two feet long and you like bend over and use it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, like, and like made out of grass. And so I used that for a really long time and I hated sweeping my house. Um, but that's a really big thing in Zambian culture is you sweep your yard every morning and you sleep, you sweep your house and so like I think <laughs> I I that was something I didn't fully embrace <laughs> because like it was just hard to like I would always just keep my shoes on or I just like wouldn't wear shoes and my feet would always be dirty but I yeah I just it's just like it was such like you know a hassle to me and so I would always avoid it unless I knew I was gonna have guests <laughs> uh, yeah did you ever have to wax your floor um, it was only waxed when I first moved in and, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. I was like the, I don't, cause also, um, I had a really, really bad termite problem in my house. Um, the house was like, that I got was like 15 years old. So my host family, they had built it a long time ago and they had like one older son that had been living in it. And so when, yeah, when I got it, it was like 15 years old. Um, so almost as old as me. And it had such bad termites that some, there were some parts of my floor that I would be walking sometimes and my foot would fall through because like the structural integrity of that part was just so fucked up from the termites. And so like, that was another thing. Another reason why I just didn't bother with the floor is because I would have to knock down like termite mounds on my walls all the time. So I'm like, what's the point? Um, so yeah, I, I didn't even bother with like the waxing. I'm sure my host family probably would have preferred that I did. I just couldn't be bothered. I'm like, my, my foot's going to fall through it anyways. So, but those pats, those spots were always patched though. So well, that's good. Did you patch them yourself or did your like host family come and say, we need to fix this? No, my, my batata, <laughs> my batata for sure. My host father got the nicest man. Yeah. I would be like, my foot fell through the floor again. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, how did they fix it? Uh, they would pour cement. 
cement, oh, okay. um, cement mixing that's mixed with, like, sand, and he would sometimes put, like, this, um, I think lime, um, which is supposed to deter termites, but I honestly don't think it did much. He does anything? <laughs> yeah, they would just pour it down the hole, but I think, um, there was another volunteer after me, Thomas, and it's, he actually lives in Irvine now. He's the, um, Peace Corps diversity recruiter in Irvine, um, and he's from, yeah, yeah, and he's from Costa Rica, and he replaced my site when I left, and <laughs> that was one of the first things I told him. I was like, watch out for these termites. But I think they might have knocked the house down now. We are like, oh, good. It's, it's, it's about time for it to be knocked down. Nice. Okay, so we're going to switch gears, because I'm kind of curious about this. When we had our little meet and greet, you said that you wanted to do the dating question yeah. because you seem to have some stories. <laughs> and so I'm here to ask you, what was dating like throughout your Peace Corps service? Ooh, it's so complicated. Is it? It's so complicated. <laughs> so going in, I was single and like, so during PST, like 50% of my cohort formed couples. And so half of us were coupled up and the other half of us were super fucking single. <laughs> yeah. And so I like fully expected, I was like, I'm going to be celibate for two years. Like I had anticipated that. <laughs> Three, two years. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, you know, like as a woman of color, like in the past, I've only dated people of color. And so in Peace Corps, you're surrounded by a lot of white people and that was something that I think I wasn't used to, especially in my dating scene. Um, just because, you know, like I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and that's predominantly Hispanic. And in my past, I think I just like, just like what I noticed is like, usually when there's like more white people around, I'm less likely to date <laughs> because of, I guess, their preferences. I don't know. So that was something that I was, I was like fully anticipating to be celibate. But, you know, you meet people, you get something called Peace Corps goggles, <laughs> which means, like, in the beginning, yeah, yeah. Um, same thing as, like, concept as, like, beer goggles, you know, like, you get desperate enough. Um, and also people get, their hair, their hair grows out, they look a little more disheveled, you're like, actually, you don't look so bad, and you're not as annoying as you used to be, so let's give it a try. Yeah, it, but it's weird because um, there's some people I dated, actually almost all the people I dated during Peace Corps um, were in different provinces. So it was like basically a long distance relationship. It would take like two days to see each other. And it was it was a hassle. But at the same time, it was really awesome because you have a person who understands what you're going through. You have like similar friends and also... Like, I feel like dating and friendships in Peace Corps is kind of, like, has almost this, like, time warp effect. I feel like it's not, like, normal dating. It's not, like, normal friendships. You almost go, instead of going from, like, point A to point B, it's going almost from, like, point A to point, like, E. Because you skip so many of these, like, processes of getting to know each other. Um, because you get to know each other really quick and really well. I think that's something that I found to be really beautiful. And I enjoyed that. But at the same time, you know, it can be, like I was saying, complicated because everyone knows everyone's business. Mm -hmm. Like the rumor mill. Mm -hmm. I'm sure y'all y'all know about that. It's like high school again. Everyone just knows everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's like, 
And so that's something to also take account of is like nothing is really a secret. <laughs> so like a lot of the times if you're dating someone, you know like the other people they've dated and like those people those people have dated. I always talk about how I think it would be really fascinating to have like a reality show <laughs> and like following it's just like I don't know, it's so it's interesting. Um but there's definitely good and bad because you know I did know some people who like immediately from pre-service training they like started dating and then they were in that relationship for their entire service um and most of the time it doesn't end up working out so then their entire service was kind of spent with this other person or like having them be a really big part of their service and that can be good and bad if it works out it's good if it doesn't then it kind of sucks but you know I was lucky enough to have not like super serious relationships throughout my time and for some reason I think I kind of valued that more almost because I was like I was able to do this more independently but I think if I had been given an opportunity to be more serious within a relationship I probably would have because shit is lonely you know <laughs> yeah I was wondering so did you ever consider like dating a host national um I did consider it and I decided not to because if I think I if I would have dated someone it would have been someone in my town like in the town nearby or in my village and I kind of didn't want to like compromise that relationship I had with a village especially if it was someone who was in the community you know I just kind of wanted to remain that level of like professionalism and kind of mystery and secrecy <laughs> and also I think there were some times where I just felt like very I guess wary about dating people who weren't other volunteers because I guess I was like suspicious that maybe they just wanted it as like to be like oh I'm dating like the white girl or hoping that maybe like we can have a relationship and we go to America I don't know yeah, because that stuff happens sometimes, but I say the biggest thing, I the reason I didn't was because, like, I just, I wanted to be more professional, and I couldn't have dated someone in Lusaka. I could have, but, like, that would have been, like, yeah, it, it would just be so hard to maintain. Yeah, so far. Um, so it just wasn't practical, you know, Peace Corps volunteers were who I was around the most, and who I was able to have more of, like, a romantic relationship instead of like a working more professional relationship mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that so as you mentioned before you talked about glow and so I kind of wanted to ask that did you ever go to like a glow conference or anything like that did you participate in a stomp conference like during your service I didn't participate in stomp but I actually had a couple of friends who did and they loved it they had such a great time and I know they were able to tour science centers and they had um they learned so much but I so do they have glow conferences I think it was starting to become a thing it's not like a song where you actually go to Senegal and you know you have your two weeks but I think we had an event in Madagascar regarding glow I can't remember what it was. It was like a, a smaller conference. And I think we had like a few people coming from different countries, but it's not like an established conference, like a stump, which is very well known among volunteers. 
especially those the ones that are working in malaria. But yeah. Yeah. To clarify for our listeners, JOMP is a malaria conference where you can go and learn about everything about how to train about malaria and different activities regarding malaria training and education for your own country. So it's pretty much just like different people from different countries, Peace Corps volunteers, I mean, they come to one country, I guess it's Senegal. Does it change? Does the country change? No, it's always Senegal. Okay, it's always down in Senegal. And then there, they pretty much like swap ideas and just have like a whole conference thing of changing and educating and learning new things. So just for our listeners, just wanted to clarify that. Ooh, that's, that was a great explanation. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to like any major conferences, but like GLOW, I can, I can talk more about GLOW. <laughs> it, was, it was just so, so, so great, especially like because one really big challenge for girls in Zambia is, you know, you have to pay for secondary education after your primary school. So that's like, I believe that's ninth grade forward. And, you know, for where I lived and where a lot of volunteers lived, in order to go to a primary school, you have to move out of the village because there isn't any local. So you have to have money to do these things. And a lot of the times, um, Girls don't even know about the schools that are in the towns. And so one of my favorite things that we did was we did a tour of a secondary school and we got to talk about the programs and scholarships. And it was just, yeah, it was really awesome. And like at the end of the day, we took them to a waterfall. God, it's so beautiful. Chishimba Falls. And um, they were able to swim and play in the water and just have so much fun. But it was, it's really interesting because, like, at the beginning of the week, you girls are, like, they're really quiet. And it's kind of like with any youth. Like, um, I'm sure y'all y'all know, especially Carol, like, in the beginning, they're so quiet and shy. And by the end, you know, they're, like, getting in trouble, uh, changing numbers, you know, uh, swapping clothes. Yeah, doing your hair. Especially, like, with these younger girls because, you know, in Zambian society... Um, you know, gender roles are super prevalent and, you know, it's this expectation of, you know, girls have to take care of the siblings, the house, and, you know, school comes last a lot of the time and it's not a priority. And I think having the opportunity to tell these girls that they have value outside of the home is really important and inspiring them and also just getting to know them and like being friends and having fun was like, it's so much fun. But at the same time, you know, like, I don't know, because a lot of times people are like, oh, like, what was your project? I'm like, oh, I did fish farming. Um, But I realized I hardly even talked about that on this podcast. (laughs) I know. I don't think you said anything about fish farming. I guess it's not rememberable. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so sorry. It is, but it's just like, um, I think it was just harder. It's like, because a lot of the work I did with fish farming, you know, it takes time to see a measurable impact because it's it takes longer and you know maybe I'm more drawn to talking about glow because I was able to see like the the impact it had firsthand instead of like you know way down the line um like I would have to see for fish farming but fish farming it was like it was so much fun too because a lot of the times um, I would get into the ponds and help with the harvests and help with the digging. Not very well. I had a lot of people make fun of my digging. Um, <laughs> they're like, oh, you know how to use a hoe? I'm like, sort of. Not well. 
yeah, but fish farming, like, you know, it was a, it was my assigned project, but it wasn't my only focus. Um, but although I enjoyed it and it had a lot of the technical aspects that I really like um, concerning aquaculture, especially during my extension year, I was working with a nonprofit NGO that was working in fisheries in to build uh, rural aquaculture businesses in this area and like uh, fish hatcheries. And I was able to do like water quality measurements and have more of that like scientific hands-on experience, um, which has definitely helped me with my new job that I'm starting next week. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But the, the fish farming is definitely more like my, it's more of like what I see is like kind of my career path, but I feel like the opportunity I had to, I was able to experience with glow and malaria and HIV work, I think was, I don't know. Um, I, I think it, cause it involves more people interaction. Um, so I was able to see that impact more firsthand, but yeah, it's, they're, they're both really awesome projects and I enjoyed it. So you mentioned that you're starting a brand new job next week. Uh, can you give us a little bit about how your Peace Corps experience helped you professionally? So after I left Zambia, I traveled and backpacked for a few months, few <laughs> for a few months in Mexico and Colombia, actually. And oh, you came to Colombia, nice. Yeah, I I spent like a month in Colombia, um, in, in various places. So before I left, I had applied to grad school, and kind of because I knew that I wanted to continue doing work in international development or, you know, um, environmental protection and justice. And I was like, okay, well, if I want to actually make money from these areas, I'm going to have to go to grad school. So I wasn't excited about going to grad school because when I left undergrad, I was like, I am never going back to school. I was like, so done. So going to grad school, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm doing this. And I looked into the covered all programs that Peace Corps had. And I kind of knew that I wanted to come to California because I have my, my dad and sister here. And I saw that the University of San Diego had a covered all fellowship and they covered um, 50% of your tuition and you got six credit hours towards your coursework. Yeah, which meant that my last semester of school, I only had like two workshops because of those six credits. Um, meanwhile, like, some of my classmates were, like, really loaded down their last semester trying to finish their thesis and all these other courses, so I really lucked out in that. It made my, my graduate experience way easier, um, and it also helped me network with other, like, RPCVs, so there was three other RPCVs in my cohort for my school, so that was really awesome, and they were all from different countries. But after I graduated, so I just graduated in May 2020, <laughs> um, and it's a Master's of Arts in Peace and Justice, and it's definitely an interesting time to kind of, like, be emerging with a degree in that, especially considering the pandemic and uh, Black Lives Matter gaining more momentum. But after I graduated, I've, you know, I've been applying to jobs like crazy, and I'm actually starting a position on Tuesday as the science program manager of a uh, housekeeper nonprofit here in San Diego. And it's interesting, you know, I feel like a lot of, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. And I feel like a lot of the 
kind of things that set me up for this have been my experience in Peace Corps for sure because of my experience with grant writing and applying for grants. I've noticed that is a huge thing, especially if you want to work for nonprofits, is that having that skill and that experience is so important. And I think having that opportunity to do that in Zambia through the Girls Leading Our World and another grant I did for a computer lab, it definitely gave me the professional skills needed for that, as well as like the hands-on aquaculture and water monitoring um, work that I did with fish farming in Peace Corps definitely uh, kind of gave me a better idea of what I wanted to do and prepared me for this new role I'm about to have. But yeah, it's it's been, I've been really lucky in that way that it's kind of set, set me up professionally. That's fantastic. Thank, thank you for uh, mentioning the fellowships because I know there is a lot of opportunities for people that come back. And like, I wish I had known because I did my master's before I went to Peace Corps because I didn't know Peace Corps was going to be in my life anyways. But if I had known better, I probably would have done my Peace Corps as part, as part of my MPH. And, you know, it's good to, to be informed and good to know that there is so many tools and so many opportunities out there when you come back as a, as a return Peace Corps volunteer. Yeah. And there, there are, like, some really good fellowships. Like, some of them are, like, full rides, like, 100% tuition paid for. But then others are, like... They only pay for, like, your application fee. <laughs> I'm like, what the? Like, that's just pointless. Hey, it's $100 less that you have to worry about or something. I don't know how many fee, uh, the school fees are nowadays, but <laughs> something, something. <laughs> yeah, it's not cheap, yeah. But it, it's for sure a great opportunity. Uh, and congratulations again on your new job. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and actually, one my supervisor, she's also an RPCV. Uh, she was in the Philippines. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Like, you know, and besides, like, just professionally, like, just having the network of volunteers, it's kind of like you're immediately friends almost. Do y'all feel that way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally do. There's just, like, this measure of, like, you get it, and now we can relate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're already best friends. I think that's one of the many reasons that motivate us to do this podcast is just because we get to do that, right? Like, we get to... Like Salina said, we get it and we value your story and we kind of know, even though the experience is completely different, we have very similar styles. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very nice. Actually, one of my friends here in Colombia is an RPCB and I, we became friends because I reached out to an RPCB group. I was like, hey, I'm going back to Colombia and I don't have any friends. Please be my friend. <laughs> yeah, and those Facebook groups, like, Especially there's an RPCV jobs one. They are definitely a tool that needs to be utilized. Uh, and they can help you connect with so many great people all over the world. So that's awesome that you even found someone in Colombia. Oh, maybe I should have utilized that jobs one. <laughs> Need to ask anyone into training and development? <laughs> hey, it's never too late. Okay, so to end this podcast episode, I do want to ask, what advice do you have for people who are still interested I think the biggest piece of advice I would have for those, for new applicants or people interested, and this is something that I wish I would have known going in, is definitely do your work on white saviorism and also international development and learning more about that because, you know, looking back on my service and my intentions, I think that 
if I would have known more about white saviorism, um, and that's, you know, that's the idea that you, like, people from Western countries have to go to these areas that are not, quote-unquote, not as developed as the U.S. or not similarly developed as the U.S. and that you have to go and save these people and help them, um, that it's your duty. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, (laughs) they don't need to be saved. You know, you certainly can't do that, you know. Uh, so I think that knowing, I wish I would have known more about that going in because of now that I know more about it, I reflect on a lot of my experiences and thought processes and wish that they would have came from a more knowledgeable place about white saviorism and especially in like international development and neocolonialism. That's just so important because you know, you're going, you need to recognize that you are, you will be involved in an organization that is part of the government and that does have their hands tied in certain situations and like knowing how, like what their downfalls are and going in firsthand knowing like, okay, I'm not going to be a white savior. You know, I'm going to do this with the best of my intentions because I am a well-trained person, but also like not just the white saviorism, but making sure that like I personally believe that Peace Corps has a lot of reform that they need to do. And there's an Instagram account, Decolonizing Peace Corps, that I've actually been following that I feel like <laughs> that I feel like needs they, they need to do a lot of work um, in terms of accepting volunteers and the type of training that they receive before going to the country and continued training on international development and white saviorism. But I think that that's definitely the biggest advice because I know so I've talked to a lot of volunteers where they're like I had no idea going in about like you know these these factors and if I would have you know I probably would have would have not joined or if I did join I think it I would have been from from like a more intentional place and you know when you come from a more intentional place I think that you're able to have a more lasting and sustainable impact yeah, that's, I think that's, like, the most important thing is, like, making sure you're not going, like, because I, I, like, when I went in, I was, like, I want to help people, uh, you know, but, like, knowing that, you know, that's, like, that's not my job, knowing that I should go to support people, but not, like, rec- like but recognizing that I am not the end-all, be-all of someone's solutions, just because I'm from the U.S., you know? D- did y'all ever feel that way? Yeah, I never knew about it either, but I went in with the mentality of I'm just trying to use my degree and to utilize that would be educating people in nutrition. And I would be doing the same thing in the States. So never went to be like, oh, I'm going here to help like so many people. Actually, I was the opposite where I'm like, as long as I can influence one person, then I will be okay with myself and what I had tried to do. Uh, But it was never, yeah, it never came from the mentality of like, I'm here to like, push these people to then like eat all these different colors and like be like as the best call it like people they can be no I never because that's not realistic it's not realistic and it should never cross your mind your mind is there to just do your job and try to do it as well as you possibly can (laughs) well I actually I didn't know about white saviorism either but I didn't feel that way I just really wanted, like I really wanted to go and have this experience and get to know our culture I don't think I had the idea of like, I'm going to save somebody. I don't think consciously, I don't, I'm not lying. I don't think I had that. And I did it with all my heart. And that's why I love my service is just the best thing that's ever happened to me so far. 
and I will always say that, but you definitely see that all the time with so many other volunteers that is like, wow, I can't believe you either say that or I can't believe you did that or you commented that. Yeah. Yeah. Like some really fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that most uh, bothered me the most. People that thought that Peace Corps was just a paid vacation, a two-year paid vacation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, like a lot of people go in, they're like, I'm going to change the world. And it's like, uh, you might change like three people's lives, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just making sure that it's from, like, pure intentions is so important and I think could solve a lot of issues, kind of like you were saying, Carol, about, you know, like, other Peace Corps volunteers. There are some for real dummies that come into the country who are just looking for a vacation and who don't do anything. So, you know, like, I think making sure that you have that education beforehand would, like, even prevent that, so... Thank you so much for that, Rachel. I really appreciate that advice. I'm sure our listeners will, who those who are still interested, it kind of will open up their minds to researching something that they probably wouldn't have thought about before. And I just want to say thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed Rachel's tale. We had so much fun, as you can tell, chatting with her and just sharing stories and everything that happened within her service in Zambia. So thank you again for joining. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Mexican sister. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Thank you so much for being part of this. We really appreciate you and your tell. Yes. Thank you all so much. I had a a great time. Sorry if I got carried away in my tales. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, thank you so much. I, I had a great time. Veluma Abi, bye bye.